Yeah, Old Testament is found in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. This is what the Lord says. He says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord, the word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Tracy, and the New Testament reading is found in Galatians chapter 6, 14 through 15. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. The word of the Lord. Thank you. If you are able, please rise and stand for the reading of the gospel. Found in John 3, 3 through 6. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Some of you may be newer around here and you're thinking, why do we stand for one of the readings, not the other two? Uh, the, the reason we do that, the gospel reading is where we hear the story of Jesus being told. And what we're trying to say is the word of God ultimately testifies to the word, Christ himself. So when we stand for the gospel, that's our way of saying, oh, all the scripture gets read through the story of Jesus. Okay, so that's why we do it. Now you know why, and now you're standing. That's great. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you're the God who speaks. You call to us. And so we're asking today that you continue to do it. You're already speaking. You've already been calling to us. We ask that you do it now. As we listen to the scriptures being read and being taught, open up our eyes to see. Open up our ears to hear. Open up our minds to understand and our hearts to believe and to surrender. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen, amen. Well, this is... Already been a special Sunday for a number of reasons. Tops on the list is water baptism. I mean, is there anything better than seeing people enter into the waters? And it's not too late. We'll do it again at the end of the service. If you're here, like still wrestling, we got you. There'll be there'll be a moment. Okay. Uh, The other reason it's it's an exciting Sunday is because this is our last Sunday here in the World Prayer Center, and next Sunday we're going back to Palmer High School. It's crazy. 
Now, I recognize that some of you started coming to New Life Downtown during the pandemic. You're like, where's Palmer High School? It's not Palmer Ridge up here. It's Palmer High School, like all the way downtown in front of that statue of General Palmer. And you're like, never been there. We've got a surprise for you. I mean, it's the oldest high school in the city, and they're proud of it. As in the chairs still squeak, but it's, it's amazing. You're going to love it. It'll feel like home for you, hopefully. It's home for us. We can't wait to host you there, so come join us. Some of you watching online, you haven't been able to join us yet. We do hope that you'll do that uh, at Palmer next week. But the other reason today is special is this is the conclusion of our series on Galatians. Like, this is it. This is week 11 of our series through Paul's letter uh, to the church in Galatia, and we come to the ending of this. And as I was thinking about how do we wrap up this series, how do we wrap up this letter, I was reminded of one of my favorite scenes from one of my all-time favorite TV shows, The West Wing. Any West Wing fans in here? I mean, maybe you are, you know, you, you like Aaron Sorkin, you like everything he writes. The first four seasons of West Wing, he wrote them, then it, you know, got a little bit different after that, different writers came on board. And if you've never seen it, I think you can find it, I don't know what streaming platform it's on, but if you find it, it will remind you or maybe reawaken hope in the American political system once again. You'd be like, oh, if only. Anyway, there's an episode where the president, President Bartlett, is they're going through an election campaign and it's, they're preparing him for debates and he stands up there to debate his opponent and the moderator asks a question and the opponent gives this nice, beautiful, succinct, pithy, profound answer. And... The audience claps, like, oh, great. And then the cameras go to Bartlett, and it's his turn to respond. And he goes, there it is. There's the 10-word answer my staff has been trying to get me to have all week. He said, all week long, they've been trying to get me to respond to these complicated questions with a 10-word answer. And he's like, and I don't have one. But the question I have for you, and he says to the other candidate, is what are the next 10 words after that? And what are the 10 words after that? In other words, it's nice to give cute sayings and catchy phrases, but now what? What comes after that? And it reminds me of another scene since we mentioned Braveheart a few weeks ago, that scene in Braveheart where William Wallace gives this epic speech, and then one of the guys goes, fine speech, now what do we do? And we have that feeling a little bit at the end of Galatians, because Galatians is Paul's most passionate letter. It's his most polemical letter. It's his sharpest letter that cuts to the heart, no pun intended, since this has been so much about cutting and circumcision. (laughs) But we get to the end of this letter, and we want to know, all right, right, Pastor Paul, now what? What do we need to know? How do we live from here? So if you've got a Bible, uh, turn with me to Galatians 6. What now is what we're calling the end of this series. What now? If you've got a Bible, Galatians 6 is where we'll camp out, or you can follow on the screen. That's just fine. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted to. Carry each other's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Throughout this chapter here in Galatians 6, I want to 
show us three things that Paul is leaving us with as we ask the question, what now? And the first is this, bear one another's burdens. At the core of these first five verses is that phrase in verse two, carry one another's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. A couple weeks ago he said, the whole of the law can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Now he says it slightly differently. He says, just bear one another's burdens. But in the midst of this, he's saying a lot of other things that are kind of connected. At the end of that, verse 5, he says, each one is responsible for his own load. Now, if you're paying attention, you're like, that seems like a contradiction. Do I bear one another's burdens or do I take care of my own load? And actually, the Greek words there for burden and for load are different words, implying that Paul's got something different in mind with each one. When he says at the end there, look at yourself and carry your own load, he's, he's talking about something like, own your stuff. Like be responsible for yourself. So when we say bear one another's burdens, that does not mean you don't have responsibility. It doesn't mean that if, if you fail that you can say, well, nobody was bearing my burdens. Paul's like, we gotta take, you know, take care and carry your own load. Or we might say with the emotionally healthy relationships course and spirituality course and meal groups and all the other things, we might say, hey, we're trying to help you own your stuff. Like, do, do the work here. O- own this. So it doesn't mean there's no responsibility, but it also, it does mean that we walk humbly. That in bearing one another's burdens, we're not to do it in a kind of patronizing, condescending way. Like, oh, bless your heart, Martha. You're weak. Let me help you with that, you know? Paul's like, as you bear one another's burdens, keep in mind that that could be you. Keep in mind that we, would very easy, we very easily fall into snares. So we don't do it as a way of shirking our own responsibility. Neither do we do it out of a condescending tone. But instead, what is the idea? It's the idea of restoring gently. Restoring someone gently. And he says that, look, if someone's caught in doing something wrong, watch out. Those of you who are spiritual, restore them with the spirit of gentleness. If they're repentant, restore them. The church in Galatia may have been one of the earlier Christian congregations in the story of church history, but it certainly was not the last time the church would experience such sharp divisions. In fact, about 250 years later, 200 some years later, persecution broke out in the empire, in the Roman Empire. The emperor Diocletian was convinced that plagues and devastation was the result of, and he was sort of superstitious about this, but he believed that it was the result of Christians Because Christians wouldn't offer sacrifices to the pagan gods or even to Caesar himself. He's like, look, that's why the empire is experiencing turbulence and turmoil and plagues and disasters. And so he said, I'm going to persecute the Christians until they will worship. And so persecution began to go through the empire. This is is like in the 250s, 260s, later part of the 3rd century. And they had a particular focus in the church in North Africa. For a variety of different reasons, the church in North Africa became the focus of this intense persecution. And what ended up happening is Christians decided to do what they needed to do to survive. So there were some Christians, some remained faithful and died. Others remained faithful and somehow survived. And then there were Christians who said, you know, God knows my heart. And sure, you can burn this book and sure we'll offer a sacrifice to Caesar and sure we'll say these things but I I don't really mean it I'm just scared to death and there were Christians who were just terrified at the torture and the death that was being threatened that, that, that they quickly you know sort of renounced and then there were even clergy who did that 
There were pastors and priests in North Africa who were like, no, 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 don't kill me. Okay, fine. And they gave in to that. And a few decades after that, the persecution began to die down and another emperor took over in Rome, an emperor by the name of Constantine. You may have heard of him. And Constantine, there's a lot of legend about his life, but the one thing we can say is in the year 313, he decided to issue a policy of tolerance for Christians. So it went from being these people being persecuted and in North Africa being hunted down and persecuted, neighbors ratting on their neighbors saying, I think they're Christians. Constantine says, okay, okay, we're going to have tolerance now. It's going to be okay. Now imagine what it's like to come back to church and find people who to save their life and their family's life denied the faith. Imagine what it's like to return to church and these lapsed Christians who are like, ah, I had a weak moment, but I'm back now. Will you receive me? Imagine what it's like to worship in, the, in, in church and you're like, oh, there's Sally over there. You remember what she did 20 years ago? I lost my husband, but she's alive and they're alive and good for them. What's that like to worship in church? There was a bishop who arose in the region of North Africa whose name was Donatus, and he, he took the, the, the view that, look, even if you were lapsed, even if you had, had kind of had this failure, we should forgive as we are forgiven, and let's welcome them back. And so it was called the Donatist Controversy, named after him. But there was another group of Christians that said, look, forgive, sure, but up to a point, draw the line somewhere, for goodness sake. We can't have it. We, we, we won't have it. And it created a schism, a split in the church. The Pope tried to heal it, couldn't do it. Saint, the great St. Augustine, the bishop in, of Hippo in North Africa, tried to speak into it, couldn't resolve it. In fact, you get all the way to the 7th century, 400 years later, and it's still not resolved when Muslims come over and slaughter everybody, all the Christians. Now, I want to pause here and tell you a story. Five, six years ago, I was at a conference, an Alpha conference in the UK, and Nikki Gumbel, who started Alpha, was standing up there talking about church unity, and at the time, this is 2015 or so, he was talking about ISIS. And he says, when ISIS goes to behead Christians, they don't ask them what denomination they're from. They don't say, no, I'm sorry, were you Orthodox or Catholic, Protestant, infant baptism or adult baptism, Calvinist or Arminian, speaking in tongues or no? It's just, you're, you're with Jesus, it's over. That's essentially what happened to this church, the church in North Africa. The split over who can we welcome back never gets resolved until they get killed by Muslims. And I'm saying all this to you to say, when we think about bearing one another's burdens and restoring gently, the question that is before us in this text is, are we ready for the people that God wants to bring back or bring to church for the first time? I mean, could you imagine in Galatia, Paul's like, I've already settled the issue now about this whole circumcision and there's no class division between Jews and Gentiles. You can't claim that you have special status and all this stuff. Now, can you imagine them coming back to church in a bit of a huff? Paul says we're supposed to get along. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, but you you wanted me to do that. (laughs) I wasn't going to do that. And you told me I had to sit over there and... The troubles in Galatia, the troubles in North Africa, the troubles for us today, as we stumble our way in a quasi-post-pandemic fog, who's coming back next week at Palmer High School? We could see people and be like, oh, haven't seen you in 18 months? Oh, I see how it is. 
where you been? Your car broke? <laughs> you can see people that you haven't seen in a year and a half, and the only thing you've seen from them is what they posted on Facebook. But now we're meddling, right? You're like, oh, no, they're back. Did you see what they said? They shared that one thing on Facebook. Oh, my word. <laughs> Some of you made discoveries about your people <laughs> during the pandemic. And Paul says, are you ready to bear one another's burdens and welcome people back gently and kindly? I mean, some of you discovered that your friends were cat people. (laughs) You're like, I thought we understood that dogs are God's pets. Like, we're a dog church. What are you doing with a cat? Can we even worship together now? Some of you discovered your friends were Ford people, not Chevy people. I'm just messing. A few weekends ago, uh, I was at a conference hosted at Biola University marking the 50th anniversary of the Jesus Movement. And I was asked to give a response about the church today, and there were some other speakers and all this stuff. But the speakers before me, uh, they had an interlude, and there was a video that showed footage of these Uh, The baptisms on the beaches there at Costa Mesa, hundreds of people getting baptized. And then they were interviewing people who were like, I was a hippie, I was protesting the war. All of a sudden, I mean, Stephen and Linda Todd are here. I mean, this is your story. You were there. You were baptizing people, Calvary Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I'm watching these these photographs, and I'm listening to people tell the stories of, yeah, we were just starting playing music in a coffee shop, and we didn't know it. Jesus started showing up. We got saved. We're getting baptized. And one of the speakers was drawing a, our attention to it. She's, uh, she was talking about some of the parallels between that era and ours. Race riots. Uh, consternation about a war overseas. Political turbulence. Lots of angst about the economy. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to move. And I found myself lis- listening to these presentations and watching this video, and I just thought... I'm not going to say it's a word from the Lord, but it's a hunger from the Lord. Where I was like, God, could, would you do that in our day? Like, would you do that here? Like, would you bring people in that we didn't expect, that we maybe make us squirm, that maybe we're uncomfortable with, but would you just do it in a radical way and that we're ready to bear one another's burdens because we've got our own burdens and people are going to come in with different burdens than ours, but that doesn't mean their burdens are worse than our burdens, but somehow together we can bear one another's burdens and be part of this thing together. God, could you do that? What's up ahead around the corner for us at New Life Downtown? What if we could be people that are ready for that? And then Paul goes on, verse 6, he says, Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Now, this is not about Pastor Appreciation Month, which ends in seven days. <laughs> That's real. I'm just moving right past it. Verse 7, make no mistake, God is not mocked. No, y'all are good. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good, he says. Don't get weary. Another translation, don't get weary in doing well. Because in time, we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, especially those 
in the household of faith. Now, I didn't grow up around farming. I grew up in a big city in Malaysia. It was always fun when we moved to America and people thought we were from a third world country, but I'm like, well, actually, our city's pretty big. But, but I married into country living. My wife is a farm girl from Iowa, and uh, the very first, one of my very first trips over, my future father-in-law, didn't know he, it was all going to work at that time, but uh, he just to, just to razz me a bit, he said, okay, Glenn, you want to help me? I'm going to pregnancy check the cows tomorrow morning. Now, if you've seen City Slickers, that's kind of me. I'm like, I, like, what exactly is my role in this process here? You know? He's like, no, 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 no I'm just messing. The vet's going to do all that. I just need you to help like, get the cattle in the stall at a time. You know? but, but we've loved over the years bringing the kids to the farm. And I want to show you an old picture. This is when Nora and Jonas, our middle two, were real young. And there's Grandpa Bill on an old tractor. And if you're like, oh, is that like an old... Um, tractor that doesn't work anymore, you would be wrong. Uh, that's like the current machinery, the cutting edge machinery that he insists on using. That's like, you know, 50, 60 years old or whatever. And my father-in-law, he's not quite like Wendell Berry, like horse and buggy, Amish farming kind of deal, but he definitely wants to do this the old school way. So if you grew up in the Midwest, you'll know the phrase walking the beans, where you actually go and check on stuff and pull up stuff. That's what he wants to do is go walk the beans himself. And he wants to use his old machinery and do, you know, all, all of the stuff. I can't even name it because I don't know all of it. <laughs> but I do know that once he began railing on this new breed of farmers that had showed up. Now, you understand, this is northwest Iowa, 800 people, maybe 1,000 now, maybe if you count cows. And there's one, there's one blinking light. It's not a stoplight. It's just a blinking light. And this, uh, for many people, the land has been in the family for a lot of years, and all of a sudden, a new generation of farmers started coming in, either because they, they bought the land or they inherited it but didn't want to live there, and they started using GPS tractors. Now, apologies in advance if you or someone you love uses GPS tractors, <laughs> my, but my father-in-law is not a fan. So what GPS tractors do is you put in the coordinates of the rows and you let it just drive and do the work at night. So you never even see these farmers. So you see their farms... And it somehow gets farmed, but you never see the farmers. And so they call them, my father-in-law and his buddies, they call them ghost farmers. These are ghost farmers. Like, we don't know who they are, you know. But somehow it just gets done, and they're, and they're doing it. Can I say to you that Paul is trying to tell us, in the kingdom of God, there are no ghost farmers. You don't get to just sort of say, I don't know, I, you know, I said yes, I got baptized, and you know, I'm just hoping for a fruit to start showing up. Like, it doesn't work that way. And some of you, you're like, I don't know, my kid, I don't know what's going on with my kids, I don't know what's going on in my marriage. And you find us when you're in moments where you expected a harvest and there was none. Now we're going to be there for you. That's what we do. We bear one another's burdens. But it also means you've got to be faithful in sowing. Be faithful in sowing. You can't say, well, I don't know, my kids had activities, it was kind of too busy, we, we came to church every now and again, small groups, we thought about meal groups, but you know, I mean, we just got a lot going on, and then you're like, ah, our marriage is in trouble, our, our, our kids are, they, they, they don't know anything about the Bible, right, how's it been, and I'm not saying to hear me, I'm not saying if you do this, you will get that, I'm not promising you a formula, but I am saying We've got to show up for the sowing. We trust God with the harvest, but you've got to show up for the sowing. And every farmer knows you can't guarantee a good harvest, but you can guarantee no harvest. 
right? Like, like I can't, I, there's, there's a myriad of things out of a farmer's control. The weather, the river might flood, the, you know what? You can't guarantee a good harvest, but you can guarantee no harvest. How? Don't, don't plant anything. Don't show up. And Paul says, look, you can sow to the flesh, but don't be surprised when you get destruction. You can mess around on the internet at, at night. You can, you can browse Netflix. You can binge watch this and that. You can spend your time at, at having another drink and another round. You can do all of those things. But don't be surprised when it yields what it's supposed to yield. But if you sow to the Spirit, there will be a harvest. The catch is you may not always see it in this life. And that's why he says, don't grow weary. Because we're not promised results. Paul is not a salesman on the corner saying, buy into this and your life will turn around. It may get harder. And in, pro- in fact, it probably will get harder. Like the, the kingdom of God, Paul says, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not a better smile and newer friends and a nicer job and a better car. I can't promise you any of that. And that's why he says, don't get weary in doing good. Keep sowing. I mean, in our culture today, where's the payoff for sexual restraint? Where's the payoff for dying to yourself? Where's the payoff for marital fidelity in our culture today? Sure, we can find studies and stats that say Christian married couples have better satisfaction, blah, 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 blah. Eh, that's not really the point. The point is you are sowing into the spirits when you do this, not into destruction. Where's the prize for staying steady? Who praises you when you don't lose your temper at work? I mean, you know, like everybody else is griping about the boss and you keep quiet and you don't gossip. Nobody's going to be like, breaking news, the fruit of the spirit, self-control. <laughs> this guy. Like, nobody's going to do that. You're at home, you're taking care of kids, you're losing your ever-loving mind, but you decide to not yell at the children. And the angels are not going to burst in from heaven and be like, the fruit of the spirit of patience. Oh, <laughs> well done. It doesn't happen. And Paul knows it, that sowing into the life of the Spirit very often just feels like, okay, just keep plowing, keep plowing, keep plowing. And the truth is, that's what all of you have done. These last 18, 19 months, I'm so proud of you in your life downtown. Do you know, is it four different venues? Four different venues that we've met in online. Online would be the fifth. You gathered online with us. We did Zoom breakouts where we prayed for each. A Zoom lobby. We're, we're trying to come up with all kinds of names just to make you okay with it. You know? We did morning prayer in the Psalms through our Facebook group. Some of you had meal groups via Zoom. Do you know that our Giving at New Life Downtown has stayed steady through this whole pandemic. That's amazing. We don't talk about that stuff because we trust the Lord. We, we give as an act of worship and we trust the Lord as our provider and our source. But I just need to tell you, God is good and you've been faithful. You've done it. You've been faithful in sowing. And there's all the stuff behind the scenes too where, where you know, like, well, I, I took a meal to so-and-so or... So-and-so sent me a text. This person was my prayer partner. This person came and dropped in on me. Like stuff that, quote-unquote, the church, as in the staff, did not coordinate, but the church, as in one another, did it. That's happening all through this, all through this. You have been sowing. You have been faithful in serving. 
I, I, I think about all that and I think, man, obnoxious Christians may grab the headlines, but faithful Christians will reap the harvest. You know, like, you, you will always hear the story of, oh, this loud Christian said this thing on Twitter, or this one Christian did this thing and, and posted that thing, and this, this one pastor had this fall and this failure. Obnoxious Christians will grab the headlines, but faithful Christians will reap the harvest, will reap the harvest, and that's what you guys are. Amen. Verse 11, round in the corner. Paul says, look at the large letters I'm writing, I'm making with my own handwriting. This is interesting because in the first century letter writing tradition, most likely there was a scribe writing, dictating. He was dictating and the scribe's writing this down. But I think at this moment, Paul said, give me the pen. (laughs) And he's like, I want them to know this is me. I want them to know that I didn't pre-record this for global broadcast. This is Paul saying, I baptized you. I know your name. Paul says, look what large letters, handwriting, I'm writing. This. I, we know each other. Whoever wants to look good by human standards will only try to get you to be circumcised, but only so they, don't, they won't be harassed for the cross of Christ. Those who are circumcised don't observe the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your physical body. Like, they don't actually care about you. These teachers are fly-by-night Judaizer teachers that are coming in, causing trouble, and leaving. They don't actually care about you. You're a statistic to them. You're a stat. You're a notch in their belt, a feather in their cap, so they can say, three people got saved in Galatia. They don't care. They're not going to be there for you. Then he says, but as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should boast about it. Paul's like, look, man, I'm I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to get caught up in whose church is bigger or who's got more circumcised people or not. I just, what stupid game is that? The only thing I'm going to boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he says, here's why. The world has been crucified to me through Jesus. The world is dead to me, and I have been crucified to the world. There's no pull. There's no connection here between us. Being circumcised or not being circumcised, you know what? It doesn't even mean anything. What matters is a new creation. What matters is a new creation. Some years ago, we were having a discussion about t-shirts for baptism. We saw other churches around the country have baptism t-shirts. We're like, cool, we should do baptism t-shirts. We're not a very cutting-edge church, you know. Uh, we're always just following along. And, and we're like, oh, those people say, I have decided. Let's, let's do that. I have decided. And then there arose amongst the brothers and sisters a large discussion about this phrase. And it came to be said that I have decided is putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. (laughs) Because your decision is part of the deal, but it's not the story. The story in baptism is not our decision. It's his salvation. It's his redemption. Our Great. But the headline, don't miss the headline. And this is what Paul is saying. You see, circumcision is what we can do. But new creation is what only God can do. Circumcision is stuff we can do. So it's like, look, you know, you might be able to do this. You might be able to say, oh, look at me. I I have perfect attendance here and I did this. Look at all my stuff. Paul's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually what you do is not nearly as dramatic or exciting or important 
as what only God can do. And only God can raise the dead. Only God can take a life that was lost and make it found. Only God can heal. Only God can say, I, without Christ, was stuck, was lost. But he raised me. He filled me up and he saved me. That's what Jesus did. Amen. So this third, final piece from Pastor Paul is boast only in the cross. Boast only in the cross. If we were to say, Paul, not a 10-word answer, but tell us a 10-word answer of what's Galatians all about. He's like, I'll do it in five. Boast only in the cross. What about our circumcision, Paul? Boast only in the cross. What about our Torah keeping? Boast only in the cross. What about our failures and our shortcomings? Boast only in the cross. What about our nationality? Boast only in the cross. What about my resume? Boast only in the cross. What about the things I've done? Boast only in the cross. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 2, the cross not only is the place where I've been crucified with Christ, but the cross is where I remember the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And that's worth boasting about. That, like, what else do you have? Like, someone's like, oh, you know, I got this, and I did this, and I did that. Well, you know, what do you got? I got the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Mic drop, game over. That's it. Boast only in the cross. It's over. There's nowhere else to go after that. Boast only in the cross. We're going to come to the Lord's table this morning, and we do this, and we open with confession because it's a way of saying, if I'm going to boast in the cross, that means I've got to be honest about myself. And the truth about myself is I, I, don't, I don't have it. That there's, there's... And confession is freedom for all of us to say, God, I've failed. I haven't loved you. I haven't loved my neighbors. And instead of saying that and feeling shame and guilt, and... you say it and experience freedom. <laughs> Because you didn't come here to boast about how good of a Christian you've been this week. You didn't come to the table because, you know, <laughs> the Lord's table is not a potluck where you're like, no, I got my own, thank you. <laughs> the Lord's table is where we say, I didn't bring anything. <gasps> and Jesus says, I got you. <laughs> Let my body be your bread. Let my blood be your drink. Let me be your portion. I am enough. Yes. You bow your heads with me this morning. Let's get ready to come to the table this morning.